So, super sorry about <laughs> last week and not posting. I did post on Instagram. If you follow us there, we do post all of our updates there. So, if you would like to stay up to date on what the podcast is doing, please go follow us on Instagram at TAKTV Podcast. It will be somewhere on this screen. <clears throat> but all of the recordings we had done prior to this, um, I went back to prepare an episode and I procrastinated and waited too long, but that's not the point. All the audio was terrible. It was it was so bad that I wasn't even okay with putting that out and just being okay with it. Like the audio is kind of crappy. Like sometimes there's a little bit of echo. Sometimes there's a little bit of whatever, right? Nothing new with our podcast as we go on this fucking audio journey, but that was just so bad. No amount of software could fix it. So if you stay through the rest of the episode, I will put a little piece of audio at the end to show you how terrible that audio was. Like I didn't even want to listen to it. That's how bad it was. Like I didn't even want to listen to it. So I'll put a, a little piece of the audio at the end so you can see how bad it was. And we really want to put out quality product for you guys, which is why We've gone through all these trials and tribulations to figure out and work out the kinks. To kind of make up for that, we will post two episodes. I mean, there's two episodes today, so this one and the next one. But with all that said, we're going to re-record what should have been last week's episode so if we don't seem as over-enthusiastic, it's because we've recorded this once before <laughs> and we're doing it again. So with all that said, I think we're just going to roll right into it. So Shannon. Well, Shannon is not prepared just, you know, Darcy. I was not ready for this. I will say, if you're new here, welcome. We are Take a Killer to Brunch. We're a true crime and all things spooky and paranormal podcast. I am one of your hosts, Darcy. I'm still not ready, Darcy. I'm literally, I don't even have my, I don't even have my tab open right now. Okay. Only today, even though I've been sitting here for the last like hour waiting for Darcy. But yeah, I was just online shopping and all that shit, but, and not, I know, but I mean, cause, and then trying to figure out my audio because Darcy is screaming in my eardrums right now. <laughs> And I'm Shannon. I'm the other co-host. Yeah. So you guys, I mean, be patient with me. I've never, this is my first time ever having to re-record an episode. And I know Darcy had to do it. So it's kind of, it can be difficult because I'm typically your number one procrastinator. So I'm usually finishing up my notes either the day of or the night before we do our recordings. So that means that all the information is very fresh in my mind. And um, today it is not. So bear with me if I end up remembering things as I'm reading through my notes, because I'm sure there's always stuff that you don't put in your notes that you remember or you want to say, even though you do your best to put like little blurbs on the side or a little asterisk and whatnot to try to remember to say certain things. We're going to just see how it goes. <laughs> so I decided to choose this topic because it's something, it's a pastime that we all tend to do during the summertime, especially here in like the hotter states. And I know even in other states as well in the U.S., which is going camping. So I'm going to tell you guys the story about Gary Michael Hilton, who is also known as the National Parks serial killer. As per usual, I am going to horrify you and give you nightmares and make you probably not want to go camping. But I'm also going to give you the helpful hints as to what not to do when you're going out to these national parks or camping or hiking or whatever it is that you're trying to do during the summer. So you can still enjoy it, but also do it smart, you guys. Don't be dumb. Street smarts. Yes. So he was given the name as the National Parks or the National Forest serial killer thanks to the fact that he was actually convicted of four brutal murders that were all in a centralized location, which is in the southern, southeastern tips of the U.S. So it's basically in like Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, places like that. And he killed people along hiking trails in various different national park areas. Gary is currently still alive. He is 76 years old and he 
as far as I know, is sitting on Florida's death row. He was born on November 26 of 1946 to parents William E. Hilton and Cleo M. Rennell in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia, sorry. And he was an only Georgia. He was an only child. I swear I've only had one glass of wine so far, you guys. So far, only one. Anyways, <laughs> shortly after Gary was born, his parents did end up getting a divorce. And his mother would very quickly remarry to a man named Nilo Debog, which, like I said before, it the way it's spelled, you guys, and I have the mind of a 10-year-old sometimes, Darcy does. It's like D-bag, so we're just, but it's Debog, I'm sure. It's not, it's. She married a D-bag. <laughs> yeah. It's literally D-bag, but I'm convinced. That it's probably pronounced a bog and not D-bag. Because if it's a D-bag, then I'm very sorry, Nilo, because that really is awful. D-bag, the bog. It sounds a lot more fancy. <laughs> Anyways, so the three of them, shortly after his, married, his mother married again, would move to Hialeah, Florida. I think that's pronounced this, is how it's pronounced, in 1958. And then... The troubling issues begin. So at the age of 13, Gary would show intense signs of aggression. He actually even reportedly shot his stepfather in the stomach. So it was pretty brutal. He did only wound him, though, thankfully, and did not kill him. When people ask why he chose to shoot his, step shoot his stepfather, oh my God, I cannot talk, you guys, and I apologize in advance. Words are hard. When it, it's going to, yeah, we're going to be okay. I'm not stroking out, I promise. So the people asked Gary, like, why he shot his stepfather. So there was some speculation. And for Gary, there was some verbal mental abuse in the household from his stepfather. And then even, in fact, like, the more troubling one was that a friend of Gary's, I think, from childhood, even said that there might have been some sexual abuse from his mother. So, I mean, that could definitely contribute to some ongoing issues throughout his life. Other sources say that while Gary was a child, he likely suffered from things such as like ADHD, which made him have that lack of interest in school. And things like excited speech, where he would just ramble on like crazy. I mean, similar to ADHD, but I think there were some cardinal signs there that there was something additionally wrong with Gary. But he would continue on through his like younger years. And from 1964 to 1967, Gary actually enlisted in the army where he would spend most of his time in Germany. And he did pretty well. He got involved in some basic airborne training and also ended up receiving his GED because he did not graduate high school at the time. So he got that under his belt too. So he was... Fairly doing well, but the year 1967 rolls around. So this is what year three of him being in the army. Gary was actually honorably discharged and it was because he went into a mental health hospital while in the army in Germany because he had a severe schizophrenic episode. Now, mind you guys, keep this in your head that it was 1967, so... Obviously, mental health and like how to treat mental health illnesses was very poor. So this is where I feel like things could have gotten much better for Gary, but instead it wasn't. And maybe things that would have turned out differently. But, you know, Gary did the best he could. You know, obviously, he lost his position in the Army. He seemed to kind of have his life fall apart a little bit. But the only thing that really kind of kept him sane, in a sense... What kept him going was he actually spent a lot of his time hiking the various national park trails and just kind of exploring the, the wilderness, which is what he loved. So even though with his mental health diagnoses, he would continue to live a somewhat normal life, he actually would marry his first wife, Sue, in Georgia in 1969. But unfortunately, their marriage would only last two years. 
And this pattern would kind of repeat itself numerous times. So very briefly here, I'll go over some of them. So in October of 1977, he married his second wife, Dina Yvonne Bach, which is another very fancy name. And they divorced in 1978. So just one year later. And then in March of 1979, very quickly after that, he found his third wife and married her, Betty Sue Edwards Galloway. And he would then divorce her also in 1979. So in October of 1979. So it looks like they were only married about six months. So it just kept getting shorter and shorter. And that's a fun fact, you guys, is that Betty Sue was actually a security officer at Atlanta's Stone Mountain National Park. So I guess that's a little bit of foreshadowing, maybe. Maybe that's where Gary met her because he also, like I said, liked to spend time in the wilderness, but maybe they spent a little too much time in the wilderness. I don't know. <laughs> so throughout his life after the military, on top of having his struggles with marriages, Gary would also struggle with being just a law-abiding citizen in general, unfortunately. So he was arrested numerous times for various things, such as I will give you a little bit of his rap sheet, you guys. It was illegal gun possession, DUI, possession of marijuana, theft, arson, and solicitation numerous times over. So a very wide variety of different things Gary would do. And of course, as we all know, Gary would eventually escalate to murder. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into Gary's known murders. So first two that I'm going to tell you about was a married couple named John and Irene Bryant, sorry. John was 80 and Irene was 84. So not your typical really murder suspects in my opinion, or not suspects, but what is it? Murder victims. There you go. Sorry for words again, you guys. And I slept last night too, so I don't know. And I've worked out today. I've been healthy today, so I don't know why my words are hard. So... On October 21st of 2007, the couple went hiking in the Pisgah National Forest. Hi, Penny. What do you need, baby? Sorry, you guys, dog break. She's being very cute and staring at me right now. So when the family of John and Irene hadn't heard from them in about two weeks, they decided that they were going to report them missing, which... I know that seems kind of crazy to think, wow, two weeks and not report your loved ones missing. But I think they kind of figured too, maybe they decided to go camping or whatnot. And they're also, I mean, grown adults are in their 80s. But, you know, there must have been some reasons as to why it took two weeks. Anyways, on November 10th of 2007, unfortunately, Irene's body would be found on a trail just covered in leaves. So kind of nonchalantly thrown out there which is really sad and just kind of just tossed leaves over her body autopsy showed that irene had been bludgeoned to death with a blunt instrument and as the investigation continues detectives discovered that the bryant's bank card had been used at an atm to withdraw three hundred dollars um, by a white man who had a disguise basically was just like a simple mask and just keep in mind, too, that at this point, John is still considered missing. So the husband is still missing, even though his life was found. So later on during interviews, like I said, this is one of his known murders. So Gary would confess to this one. He actually also would tell the story about how he basically abducted John for a short period of time after he had bludgeoned Irene to death. So as he would quote unquote say, he took John on various joy rides, which basically was carting John around to various ATMs until that he got basically the money he wanted or felt that he, all that he had. So once that had been accomplished, unfortunately, Gary did just shoot John in the head. So on February 3rd of 2008, which is actually a whole year later, there was a skull that was found by a hunter and unfortunately but fortunately as well forensics was able to identify it as john's so at least a portion of him was found at least they can give him back to his family do you know how far away they found him from where his wife was found i don't have that in my notes but i believe it's in the general area the same i just don't know how like far distance wise 
but I know in the same, I think, general national park area. Oh, Penny, you're so cute. Okay. She just wants me petting her head right now. So that's why I'm like leaning over a bunch of you guys. I was like, don't eat the egg. What do you mean? Don't eat the egg. Is that like some code for something? So there's a piece of egg in there that's like soft boiled. And I'm like, yeah, it's been in there a couple of days. Maybe we don't eat the soft boiled egg. That was so, so confused. I was like, do I was like, is this code for something? Do I need to be worried? What egg? Are we talking about like a bottle? Because that's like an egg. Too. I'm like, love of God, don't eat the egg. It was so fast in my ear. We will call that. That's, that would be the name of our card game. We'll be don't eat the egg. <laughs> I was just nonchalantly telling my story about Penny and trying to brush out all her dog fear. And then all of a sudden it's like, don't eat the egg. <laughs> so good. Just don't do it. Don't eat the egg. Oh, this is your sign. If you're eating eggs, don't do it. And touching fabric. Turn. So on to our next victim, which is Cheryl Hodges Dunlap. She was 46 years old. Now, like I said, the first two, let me scroll up here, were on October 21st of 2007. So now we are moving on to December 3rd of 2007. So not too far after that. Cheryl was reported missing by her friends at church when she actually failed to show up as she always did. So I think she was like a Sunday school teacher, the whole nine yards, everything. So when she didn't show up on a Sunday, they were rather concerned. And so the following day after the missing persons report was filed, police actually located her car just north of the county line near the entrance of a national park. When her friends were asked, like, why would her car be there? It actually really made no sense to them. Other than maybe she had broken down and needed some help or something along the line of that. I also think that maybe if Cheryl saw something in need of help, maybe she was trying to help somebody as well, meaning i.e. Gary or something along the line of that. Anywho, on December 16th, unfortunately, a hunter named Ronnie Rents, who I think also has a fabulous name, was passing through the Appalachia... Okay, so... I nailed it the first time and not the second time. It's Apalachicola. There we go. Apalachicola National Forest in Florida when he stumbled upon a decapitated, decomposing body. So, of course, the head was missing, meaning decapitated, but some say that her, or some sources, sorry, say that her hands were missing as well. And medical examiners would confirm that it was Cheryl Hodges Dunlap. So investigators also found that Cheryl's bank card had also been missing. Maybe there's a little similarity there. And it would later be discovered that Gary, again, through his MO, stole the bank card and used it to withdraw $700. Oop-de-doo, I guess. So we're kind of seeing his M.O. evolve here. Like he's obviously stealing their money, but he goes from just abduction and dumping of bodies to now he's decapitating and dismembering body parts. Sort of, but also remember, obviously Irene was simply just bludgeoned to death, but remember the only piece of John that was found was his head. So he, not only was he shot in the head, but remember he only, the only thing that was found was his skull, which I guess, I mean, in theory, like if an animal had gotten to him, there could be a reason why only the head, not the rest of the body was found. But I think um, just knowing Gary, likely John was decapitated as well. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there, I mean, per at least my notes i can't truly confirm whether or not john was decapitated but only his head was found so i'm gonna assume that okay so cheryl was found well disappearing on december 3rd of 2007 now we're moving on to meredith emerson and this was on january 1st of 2008 so ring it in the new year she was only 24 years old and she decided that on the first of the year, she was going to start her year fresh and take her dog hiking at Vogel State Park in northern Georgia. Unfortunately, she would never be seen alive again. Um, the difference with this story with Meredith is that there were actually witnesses. So there were other people on the trail that day that were able to see 
Meredith hiking, but also that she was kind of being followed by an older white male kind of closely, at least according to people, it was just kind of odd. It just kind of struck them as odd how close he was to her, but obviously they weren't together. So on January 5th, so four days later, many of Meredith's items were found on the trail. So she was already reported missing at this time. And that included things such as her clothing, which was actually bloody already, her driver's license, and the odd one was a bloodstained seatbelt. So just keep those few little things that were found in mind. Through the descriptions of the witness, people were able to identify the man as Gary Michael Helton, which this is how Gary would be found and put on trial for at least Meredith. So the, how they were able to do that was when Gary was slightly younger, he had a period of time where it was like a 10-year stint where he seemed to be doing fine in life. He had a job. I know he was struggling with his marriages and one after the other, but he did ended up for 10 years, had a steady job doing, it was like, I think he sold like siding for like houses and stuff like that or like building materials. So he worked with one man in particular and the same man ended up kind of being like his friend, I guess, in a sense, because he let Gary live on one of his rental properties and well, Gary also worked for him. He's very well known to Gary and they had a falling out at one point because Gary was asking for money or something like that along the lines of that, or was trying to sue him for money or get money out of him in, any, in a certain way. And I can't remember his name and I think I might have it further down in my notes here. But he would be the person that actually identified through like the descriptions of the witnesses that it was Gary. So eventually police were able to find Gary and how they found him too was like they spotted his, I think he had a van at the time. And so police obviously drove up out of his van and literally as they were driving up on Gary's van, he was in front of a dumpster trying to get rid of things. So he was just like, and trying to get rid of evidence here. <laughs> no big deal. Like a sitcom. Yeah. I mean, literally caught red-handed, you guys, in ever since. So I don't, Gary obviously didn't really even try to run at all. Yeah, it's like the end of a sitcom where it's oh, Gary, and then everybody laughs. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that little tune of wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. That was literally how it, it was very like uneventful, but it was just, uh, well, we got the guy. <laughs> so when he started to get questioned by authorities, I did the way I pictured it in my head too, was that, I mean, not only was he like literally trying to get rid of evidence, but you know, he just started rambling off like all these confessions of like how it happened and that I was a guy and all this stuff. So I just, I still like, all I see is like the one little light bulb hanging in front of it on top of like his head area. It's just like this dim, dark room. And then Gary's just sitting on a chair and he's like, I did it. I fucking did it. It's like, just, I'll give you whatever you want. Like all that kind of, that kind of thing, which really is not how it was because he even was like, I will tell you where her body is and all these things because he knew that through where his location was and all this stuff that he could very well be put on for the death penalty for this so he was definitely afraid of that and he's like i'll make you a deal i'll give you all this information if i don't get the death penalty or i can avoid it and you know some people would have different opinions i know uh, of this i know but in the long run when investigators talked to meredith's family they ultimately said that's fine like we would just want to know where she's at so let's please at least locate her body um, so they were able to locate her body, but before that, while they were also questioning Gary, I'm just going to give you guys a little bit of information as to what he actually told investigators. He would actually recall a series of events that would kind of revolve around Meredith and how she was a little bit different, but also kind of the same as some of his former or previous killings. The first one being that she actually was forced to camp with him for a few days. Which that one, like that little part reminds me of John. If you remember John, the older gentleman that he actually 
kind of took on those joy rides for a while after killing his wife. And Gary also kind of kept Meredith hostage, which, like I said, to keep in mind some of the stuff that was found of Meredith. Remember how I said there was that seatbelt, Darcy? So the bloody seatbelt, I think, is like a very odd thing to have. But I also think maybe that was what Gary had used at the time to tie her up so that she didn't try to run away. So that's kind of like my thought process around that one. So Gary would also explain how basically Meredith would end up dying, which was because at one point she finally gathered the courage, basically, and tried to flee. So she tried to have this epic moment of bravery where she would run from Gary. And unfortunately, as she's running through this thick forest, all through the trees and off the trail, likely she ended up tripping. Gary would, of course, catch up to her and would quickly overpower her. There was definitely a struggle, though. She really did try to fight for her life. But because of her fleeing, Gary basically bludgeoned her to death. So he also basically just beat her to death. He also stated that while she was held captive, like his main goal was again to get like her bank account information, to get her like debit card or whatever it was so they can get money from her. And she just adamantly refused, which I don't know, like in my mind, I think I'm like at that point, if you know that you're in that much danger, just give it up. It's just money. Like you can earn money back kind of thing, but you only have one life. And I don't know what, maybe Meredith had a lot of money. I don't know. But either way, she wasn't giving him the information and, like I said, tried to run. And she ultimately died, which, of course, looking back on Gary's other murders, even if she hadn't given him the information, likely would she have died? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately. So again, with her body, even though it wasn't found at the time when he had confessed and he had to lead investigators to it, they did find her body again. It's it's just that simple. Like he didn't really try that hard. He kind of just dumped her body and again covered it in leaves. Didn't really have much care, truly, which I think shows a lot for what yeah, and like for like his killings and stuff like that and how I think it was really just kind of all like that money driven on it, obviously, because he keeps selling these bank cards and stuff like that. But I think it's just like this, his crimes are that of like convenience, truly. And and that's where it's like, it sucks because sure, you can take somebody's credit card or debit card or bank information and then let them live. You can still get the money and... But he just chose to kind of escalate it even further. So I don't, we'll kind of dig into kind of what we think of Gary's mental health in a little bit here. But I guess there, the one silver lining that I do have for you, Darcy, though, is that Gary did tell investigators that he was unable to kill her dog, Ella. So in many of our stories, we hear of these poor little animals that get caught in the crossfires. But... Luckily, Ella was not one of them. And I found a source that even would tell me that ever so satisfying ending is that Ella would eventually be found in coming Georgia, which was roughly 60 miles away from where she was last with Meredith on the trail. That's the one little, I guess, little silver lining to some of the story, I guess. Like I said, he did end up making the deal with investigators, though, so he led them to Meredith's body, where he would not receive the death penalty for doing so. So, obviously, with Meredith, because of those witnesses, Gary was obviously in jail for that and being sentenced for that. So, on January 30th of 2008, Gary Michael Hilton pled guilty to the murder of Meredith Emerson. She was sentenced to life in prison with the chance. So with the chance of parole in 30 years. And some people will say, oh my gosh, going from the death penalty to that with a chance of parole. But Gary's old, like older than what I think would people would realize for a serial killer. So in 30 years where he would have the potential for parole, he'd be 91 years old. So if he even lived that long. 
while Gary was in prison for the murder of Meredith. The other murders, so that of John and Irene and that of Cheryl, as years would progress, obviously their, whatever evidence was found for them, like their bodies and stuff like that, DNA was collected and things like that. Because of the advancements in technology, Gary was able to, was basically linked to these other ones. Also, just in general, like his MO. So, you know, they were able to talk to other like authorities, like kind of do that where we have a buddy in another county and or another national park. And I had this murder. And through kind of like word of mouth of talking about these different crimes, they were able to piece together like this was Gary's. Like this is exactly like John and Irene's or this seems like the most exactly like Cheryl's. In North Carolina, it was, Gary would be tried and convicted of the murders of John and Irene Bryant, uh, where there he would at least receive his second life sentence. Then in Florida, Gary was tried and sentenced for the murder of Cheryl Dunlap. Now, the thing about Florida, people don't know, is that Florida has one of the highest rates of convicting people of the death penalty. Kind of. Florida's kind of not shocking. If you go to Florida, they just do public hearings all the time, and you can just go in and like, death penalty, you get the death penalty. It's like Oprah. Everyone gets the death penalty. I'm just kidding. That's not how Florida is. <laughs> if you've ever been to Florida or if you've met people from Florida, it's really not shocking. But also the amount, though, like compare, like they have a percentage of, here's Florida's percentage is way up here compared to like all the other states, which is up here. <laughs> It's all these Florida man stories. Yeah. I mean, but in all reality, did Gary probably deserve it? Yeah. But, you know, and that's the thing is, it's kind of like ironic too, because with the first conviction of Meredith, like he did everything he could to avoid getting the death penalty, which he did because he offered up her body. But lo and behold, as the years would progress and his MO was discovered and pieces were put together, like he still ended up on getting the death penalty either way. So... Okay, I wanted to ask earlier, did he only confess to the one murder when they arrested him, or did he confess to all of them? I believe he went ahead and confessed to all of them, from what I know. Because it's, it's pretty hard to argue the science and the DNA and then the MO and everything like that. So as far as I know, he would plead guilty to the others. But I don't have that part in my notes, so if I am wrong, you guys, please correct me. But as far as I know. Now, to my, like I said earlier, to my knowledge, Gary is, is, still, oh my gosh, is still currently on death row. And the only reason why I note this is because there was art, one article that I had read in my research that touched base on the fact that there was a recent hearing, basically, I don't even know what you want to, or court case regarding Florida and their death penalty and why their rates were so high. And it was involved the Supreme Court, actually. So they were saying that a lot of these death penalty cases were actually, um, they were convicted through, I want to say it was like the jury, which according to the Supreme Court was something that a decision that a judge should make when it comes to like sentencing and stuff like that. So there was like an iffy where his death sentence was going to get overturned. He was kind of like in this limbo for a while. Um, I don't know the true outcome if he did get off the death penalty or not, or if he had to be like retried. All the other articles that I had read had said that he is still currently on the death row. But either way, I mean, whether it truly makes a difference or not, Gary's never going to get out of prison. Ever. So it's like either he's going to die in prison or sure, he's going to die a little bit earlier on death row. But either way, he's not going to see his beautiful national parks ever again are you okay there are you dying darcy i just i'm just all choked up i just don't know how to feel <laughs> when you said he'll never see the national parks again it just really got to me remember we swallow our saliva we don't inhale it oh i swallow for sure and yeah i mean you and i both honey Bit. Bit, you perverts. <laughs> yep. So, 
then now this is where I kind of want to, well, I know I did, we did this before, but I want to go over it again with you, Darcy. And these are like some of my little closing questions and speculations and just like things that kind of make you think. So in most of our research of serial killers, to my knowledge, Darcy, do you really know of any that actually began doing their serial killing sprees? Sorry. When they were so old, like he was, I think in his like 50s, 60s or something like that. No, I think it was the 60s when he actually started doing serial killing. I mean, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but it's not unlikely. I mean, you think of people like John Wayne Gacy and thing like that. Like he wasn't like in his 60s when he started killing, but he also wasn't like 19 when he started killing. You know what I mean? I think there was probably amongst his petty crime career and his developing rap sheet, there's probably some crimes in there that he committed that he never got convicted of or he never got caught doing. So there's probably a bunch of gray area that we don't know about personally. And sure, I mean, a lot of things have to escalate to that point. And there's a history of mental illness in his past most likely a history of non of untreated schizophrenia and untreated whatever the else is going on. There's probably other things going on there that we don't know about. And I mean, I agree with you that I think his crimes were crimes of opportunity. And he went for people that he felt that he could overpower. Like you didn't see him killing people that were like 20 something. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, Meredith is 24, but she was also... Like, again, you guys, like, you got to be smart when you're out there in the wilderness or, like, even on trails, which you think there's other people and you're safe and all this stuff. But she's by herself. So, I mean, still, like, a young woman by herself. True. And he also had a weapon. So, I don't know. I think a lot of this stuff was premeditated. I mean, the whole, like, the couple, to begin with, kills the wife, abducts the husband, and holds him for a few days and then disposes of him after he takes some cash. That feels premeditated. That doesn't feel opportunistic. I also don't think that he stalked his victims. So I agree that it was opportunistic in the victims that he chose, but I think he planned quickly how he was going to work this out. And I think then it was a crime of opportunity. So he's he somehow managed to abduct a whole couple that I'm like, I don't know how they didn't fight him back, how he overpowered the two of them and killed the wife, which probably froze the husband. It like put him into a state of shock and fear. And so he gave him whatever he wanted and then he didn't need him anymore. Like, I don't think he has remorse for what he's done. And I think he would have continued to do it until he was caught because he was just so quick to be like, I did it. Don't even worry. Everything was just so nonchalant. He's so sporadic and he's so unemotional. You know what I mean? All of this is just, he's disconnected. He's disassociated. I can't say sociopathic. Or psychopathic. I don't think we have enough information to really go down those rabbit holes. But he had no remorse for the victims, especially with the way that he disposed of their bodies. Like the way you dispose of a body says a lot about how you feel about the people, because there are people who kill people and then they close their eyes or they cover them with blankets or there's some level of remorse after the kill or it's it's as like a crime of passion and people are just totally obliterated or they've disposed of them. There's all these crazy things that can be said after how you've disposed a body. And to him, he disposed of them like he disposed of bath tissue. I have no longer have a use for you. So bye. Right. It's just toss a couple leaves over them. That's fine. They're going to get found. So whatever. Yeah. And definitely. And so another thing is, you know, when it, Going back to like, why was he so old when he started? An article made a really good point too. And that a lot of these serial killers that we see and what we discuss is that there's usually like a catalyst. Something that happens that escalates. Maybe they're already like 
crimes that they're doing to an even greater level, which is usually murder. And briefly, when I told you guys earlier about the man that was able to identify Gary that linked him to like Meredith's murder, which was his old boss, basically, he made a good point in that he thinks he knows what really kind of started all this. And it's really interesting because we all know Gary, he was let go from the army because of schizophrenia. Now, I don't see anywhere in any of my research that he was actually like medicated for it properly, like doing the correct things for his schizophrenia other than just isolating himself in the woods. But the his old boss had said too, if he distinctly remembers Gary saying that he went to go see a doctor and this doctor had actually prescribed him Ritalin, which is odd because Ritalin is something that you would give to treat like ADHD or ADHD. Yeah, which I know, like I said, maybe Gary had when he was younger, but I think the more pressing issue is the fact that he has schizophrenia. Now in my head too, as I'm thinking about it, is this now, like we didn't even talk about this before, but I'm wondering if Gary was doing the best that he could to try to hide his mental health and illness. And instead of discussing the fact that maybe he was hearing those voices and needed the help in that sense, a doctor instead figured that it was still his, just his ADHD or ADD that he had when he was younger and didn't truly know the whole backstory behind Gary and that he was schizophrenic. I don't know. Like maybe the doc didn't know or didn't have like access to those records or something. Who knows which, but either way, it's, you know, when you start giving medications that aren't really necessary, and especially when they're antipsychotics or any kind of psych meds to somebody who shouldn't truly be taking them, I think they do play a huge role in somebody's like mental health who's already at a fragile state. So his old boss said that it was almost like a light switch because he remembered that that's when Gary showed, started showing these like extreme bouts of aggression where he would just, he'd almost like try to instigate fights and he would like try to start fights with people. And that was kind of like his biggest downfall. That's what really kind of that's where he lost his job. He ended up basically living out of his vehicle at that point. Now, I don't know if he was still taking the Ritalin while he was doing like the murders themselves, but I think that's what kind of whatever the normal life Gary did have kind of, it fell apart. And when he was living out of his vehicle, I think whenever these people would pass by him, like John and Irene, like Cheryl and all that stuff, I think those were moments where Gary was at his lowest and it was literally back to back to back. And I think that was where Gary may probably had ran out of money, basically. So he was at a point in his life where he was living out of his vehicle, living in these national parks, just camping basically, and would ended up needing money. And then, so he got that first little bit, that $300 from John and Irene. That obviously didn't last very long. And then he ended up having to go to his next victim, which was Cheryl, where he got $700, which is cool, more. But again, it like ran out again. So he was continuously needing more and more. And I think he would have continued to truly continue to kill because it was all about the money, truly, in my opinion. It wasn't necessarily about the killings themselves, but the money. At least that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think like, the convenience of the murders it, and again, being like, eh, no use for you. I've taken what I can take from you. You've served your purpose. Chuck them to the side. I mean, I would be interested to know what your guys' theories are. If you want to put those in the comments, that would be great. We would love to know what your theories are or if, you know, what you're in, just what you think. So there's that. But uh, yeah, I agree. It's, he had no reason to kill these people other than money. They seemed happy probably, and he wasn't happy, and he already has a temperament, so that made him mad, and he wanted to take from them what he didn't have. Yeah. And also, you guys, too, like, I, I'd be curious, too, if anybody of you know, does Ritalin have those kind of effects on people? Do you know of somebody who was on that medication and experienced those kind of effects? Do you think that the medication could be related to the start of, obviously, his killing sprees? Or his aggression, at least. Like, I, I, I'm curious. Like, I've, we've all heard of Ritalin, but I personally don't know too much about it because I just don't, truly. But I would be curious to see if anybody else has maybe a family member or a friend or somebody they knew or even an, another story of the murder that Ritalin was tied into. But yeah, 
right? That's that's another thing that makes you wonder too, especially when it comes to all these pharmaceuticals that are out there. And then the last little bit you guys I'm going to wrap up with is just a quick few cases that are what I would deem like Gary's other possible murders. There was a few others that were listed, but I picked out three that were, to me, seem the most probable. So I will start out with, there was Judy Smith, and she was 51. And on September 7th of 1997, so this would be like very early on, so basically 10 years prior to the actual killing spree that would convict Gary. On September 7th, she was found missing and several human bones were found near a campsite in the Pistaw National Forest. Um, and I, I kind of think that this is highly likely that it was Gary too. Only two because it was a little ironic that this is the same forest that Gary actually located John and Irene and killed them at. I mean, this is something obviously he's a familiar with, you know, and sure the bones are just kind of scattered which could have been an animal but maybe was she dismembered sure but you know there's that little link there that it's the same area that gary had known to frequent then there was rosanna miliani and she was 26 years old and at 2005 rosanna was found bludgeoned to death which again there's kind of like that link with irene and meredith and her credit card had also been stolen. So again, obviously the same, same MO. The difference with her though, that's kind of like a, an odd, creepy thing too, though, is that there was a store clerk that had recounted seeing Rosanna just right before she had vanished. She had been with an older white male, so a little suspicious. And she looked extremely nervous and off. And apparently this old white, older white male she was with claimed to be like a traveling preacher. Could it have been Gary? Sure. And I think Gary kind of had captives before too, like John and like Meredith. So maybe that was kind of Rosanna's case as well. And then the third one, which is Michael Scott Lewis. So he is 27 years old. So he's a male. So this is kind of, like you said, Darcy, he doesn't really take easy victims, but I think this would be like his one that probably wasn't as easy. Or he does take easy victims, I'm sorry. So he went missing on November 21st of 2007, which would be like right smack in the middle of, I want to say it was Cheryl and Meredith. Yeah. So like right in the middle of Cheryl's and Meredith's murders. So November 21st of 2007, he went missing. And within weeks, his body was discovered on Ormond Beach in Florida. And it was also dismembered and tossed in black trash bags. And the odd thing was that his head was never found. So knowing Gary, his love for dismembering and especially decapitating, it seems like an awful likely case of that it was Gary that was a murder. But also too, like when I looked into it, because like I said, it was right smack in the middle of Cheryl and Meredith, where that location is. I mean, there's a very good possibility that he could have been in that area. Like it's, it's like tracing it on a map. This, it wouldn't, it would make total sense. But um, those are the three that he has not been convicted of, but they suspect. So unfortunately. And again, we want to hear your guys' opinions on this case and on Gary. And if you guys know anything new about Gary, because like I said, as far as I know, he is still alive. And that, I also like to ask everybody too. So in his case, obviously he was six years old when he started killing. Do you think that he was born evil or is this one of those cases where it was through mental health and not being treated and those kind of things that he became who he was, which I think I'm going to know a lot of people's answer to that, but I still like to know what the opinions are of the public. And then my last little bit is my question is too, is also, what do you guys think he ended up doing with a lot of the heads that weren't found? Curious. Because there was quite a few. Some of the heads were found, but not the bodies. So, and then, you know, why the head and all those set of things. Sometimes I really wonder if I could sit there and interview one of these like serial killers and murders and ask these questions and see if they'd answer me or not. <laughs> these burning questions. 
I think he disposed of them. Like, I I think he decapitated them for no other reason other than disposal. I don't think he was, like, the Ed Kempers of the world where he violates them. I don't think that he kept them as trophies. Again, I feel like he did it to cover his tracks. If you can't identify them, like, the woman's hands he took, I think he did it for nothing other than to help prolong what he was doing. Yeah. I mean, that's true. He just, maybe he wasn't really, I don't know, smart in the sense of, obviously, like, you, you and I, Darcy, know how to very well murder somebody and not get caught if you look at this point. We like to think that, at least. But, besides the point. For legal reasons, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. But, at the same time, it's like, I maybe Gary, in his head, just naively thought that if there's no head on the body that they can't identify the body not that the fact that there's a shit ton of blood and dna everywhere else well i mean he wasn't doing it because he was having the thrill of it i mean there probably was some thrill there of being in control because it sounds like he hasn't been in control of his in- his own life his entire life and so to be in control of other people's lives was probably thrilling for him but i mean he probably wasn't even thinking that far Yeah. Anyways, you guys, please respond. We like hearing everybody's inputs. So if you want to message us, feel free. There are plenty of ways to reach out. Anyways, that is the end of my story. And really quickly, before I let everyone go, I have my sources here. So I used a couple websites. So there was wickedness.net. There was also my favorite website, which is allisinteresting.com. And there was also Murderpedia, which was Darcy's favorite, or is Darcy's favorite website. So yeah, I don't think I'm missing any. Nope, that's it. So thank you so much for being here, and we will see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers. A little Disney film that's, and it's Princesses, it's definitely Snow White. If it's a film, oh, I think it was the, oh my God, I'm like, the Willy, like, the Steamboat Willy. That's my guess. Equal. Well.